I'm your host, Kate Ferdinand, and this is Blended. My blended journey began when I met Rio in 2017. Rio had three children with his first wife, who unfortunately passed away at a very young age. It's been a real journey for me, and I've pretty much been learning on the job. But one thing I have realised is, the more we share our experiences and struggles, the less alone we feel. And that's where this podcast comes in. I'll be celebrating all different types of blended families. Every week I'll speak with experts, everyday people and celebrities in the public eye about stories of families and relationships bound by love, no matter what their circumstances are. I'm your host, Kate Ferdinand, and this is Blended. Listening to Miscarriage Stories with Arden Cartrett. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to jump on and make this super quick, but I wanted to let you know that with the holidays coming up, Cassia and I, who is a doula on my team, by the way, we have put together this incredible webinar for you. It's called Grieving Through the Holidays. It's a 17-minute webinar that you can get in video format, audio format. And you have access to a 20-page guidebook that serves as a workbook, but also has the transcript for the webinar and some extra information. It covers things like coping during the holiday season, setting goals, scripts for talking to people about miscarriage or answering their nosy questions, journal prompts, a, a deep dive into triggers, and so much more. You can get this for $15. It includes the audio, the video, and the guidebook. And you can access this or learn more if you'd like to by visiting the link in today's show notes. Okay, let's get into the episode. Heidi, thank you so much for being here and for being strong and and sharing your story here. I appreciate it. And I know that the listeners are going to appreciate hearing your story as well. I welcome you to start wherever you feel like your story begins. Okay, so um, I feel like my story begins with my husband and I. So we met when we were kids. Uh, We dated for a while when we were younger and kind of went our separate ways. And some 10 odd years later, kind of found our way back into each other's lives. And ultimately we ended up getting married. So we got married um, in June of 2017 and conceived our first son just a few months later in September of that same year. So um, I would say that I had a pretty uneventful pregnancy in the best way possible. Um, I am, you know, the woman you want to throw tomatoes at because I did not get sick. Um, I didn't have like a hard time throughout pregnancy. I really enjoyed being pregnant um, all the way up until my delivery. So I had a fairly uneventful um, delivery. Uh, I went into labor because I had a premature rupture of membranes. So I went into the hospital and ultimately I ended up being induced with Pitocin. Um, 
And the delivery itself was fairly smooth and until it wasn't. Um, after a few moments um, of, from having my son put on my chest, they uh, took him from me and gave him to my husband and let us know that I was actually hemorrhaging. Um, and so that was due to me having retained placenta um, and they needed to work on removing that in order to get the bleeding to stop. And at that time I had had an unmedicated birth up to that point. Um, and they had asked me, you know, you know, we've obviously had an unmedicated birth and up to this point, but this is probably going to be even more intense than even delivery probably was. It was manual retraction of the membranes that I had retained. So they were essentially just reaching in and trying to sweep everything out um, in, in very simple terms, if you can imagine that. Um, and so they had offered me medication at that point, And my big concern was, um, would I still be as coherent and aware and, and present and able to maybe like breastfeed my son if I took this medication? I don't even remember what it was that they offered me. Um, but the doctor was honest and she said, you know, probably not initially. It will probably affect you. Um, it's pretty strong pain medication and I opted not to have it. Um, and so they had brought me not nitrous oxide and said, so I had nitrous oxide for the duration of that. And it was an hour's worth of manual retraction of the placenta that I had retained. Um, literally the worst, most intense traumatic hour of my entire life. Um, you know, I was not even an hour into being a mom. My child had been taken away from me. I was literally having flashes as if I was going to die. Um, in those moments, people were rushing into the room. They had wheeled in a blood transfusion machine. Um, I ultimately, thankfully, was, did not have to have a blood transfusion. I just by like the hair on my chin got um, away from having to have that, but it was um, excruciating to put it lightly. Um, but I got through that um, and was able to have my first son and he is now almost four and a half years old. He's wonderful, his name's Maverick. Um, and I also have a two and a half year old son now. Um, our second pregnancy, uh, we got pregnant in 2019 and he was born March, 2020, a week before the world shut down. <laughs> um, so I did again, have a pretty uneventful pregnancy. It was very smooth. Um, I had a wonderful, blissful, unmedicated birth with him. It was absolute joy and a complete 180, you know, redemption from the very traumatic experience that I had the first time. Um, although we did go into, you know, that first year or so of his life being during a pandemic and there were a lot of challenges that came with that, of course, but um, I do have my two boys, which are amazing and wonderful and the lights of my life. Uh, but that brings me to the present. Um, my husband and I decided that we would like to try for our third baby. And we were able to conceive rather quickly, which was the truth for both of our other pregnancies, which I know I'm obviously very fortunate in that aspect. Um, but this pregnancy was a little bit different. So this was just, uh, we found out that we were pregnant in July of this year. And um, a few weeks in, it, we were extremely excited. Um, a few weeks into it, I had a little bit of spotting and I had reached out um, to my doctor. I was switching practices and I was gonna be seeing a new midwife for this new pregnancy. Um, and just expressed the concern. And as you know, so many women have been told in the past, you know, some light bleeding could be very common, not to worry. 
Um, and so I, you know, was trying to be as hopeful as possible. I had not experienced any type of spotting or anything of that nature in either of my other two pregnancies. So having had two wonderful pregnancies throughout up to this point, um, it was a little bit of a red flag, just having so much to compare it to in the past. Um, but you know, I tried to stay hopeful. I can be just a touch of a pessimist. So it was hard to do. Um, but ultimately I was like, okay, like, let's not put any additional stress on yourself that you don't need. Um, but a couple of weeks later, I started to have that spotting again, a little bit more heavily this time. And I, I called and I said, you know, this is a little bit more than what it was before. Um, and I was like, you know, I, I'm just a little bit concerned. So they did, uh, start to, um, bring me in for some labs and they were testing my HCG, um, like the 48 hour test, uh, a couple of days apart to ensure that it was rising. Um, and it was, and then from then when the bleeding didn't stop or slow down, uh, you know, I, you know, contacted them again and I was like, you know, the HCG test is just like not enough for me. Am I able to get in for a scan at some point? And so they did bring me in for a scan. Um, I should have been around six weeks at that point. Um, and I went in and they were unable to find a heartbeat at that point. And they had told me that, um, you know, potentially your dates are just off. Uh, you know, this happens all the time. We don't want you to worry. Let's schedule you to come back in two weeks. So they had told me, you know, there's, there's a chance, obviously, that it could have been a mis miscarriage, but let's not go down that route if we don't have to. It's, it's early. There's, you know, so much potential that we could just not be seeing what we need to be seeing because it's early. So, um, and then they also had seen a second uh, structure as they referred to it um, in my uterus that they were unable to determine whether or not it was a subchorionic hematoma or an additional gestational sac at that point. So I left that appointment with a lot of unknowns and I was scheduled to come back in two weeks. So two weeks to me felt like an absolute eternity that was unfathomable to me that they had expected me to go two weeks with all of these unknowns and not knowing where I stood in this. But again, me being a little bit of a pessimist, I just told myself that I had to will myself through these two weeks. I also had an additional um, 48 hour HCG test scheduled. And so I did have that done. It was the, the way that it worked out is I had the ultrasound and then one day of the HCG and I had two more days before I was having the second one. And so after the second, um, I looked in my chart after the labs came in and my HCG had increased, but just not as much as I thought that it should have, you know, when you're going through all of this, so at least for me, I'm Googling everything and just trying to find out everything that I could possibly find out. And so, you know, I was thinking that it should have doubled and it hadn't doubled. It went up, but just not a lot as much as I was expecting. So of course, in that moment, um, it, it was over, I thought. And so I was sobbing and I, and I called into my um, midwife's office and talked to a nurse who was a, a joy to talk to. I was very grateful for that. Um, and she, I said, you know, I just had this ultrasound that was essentially in, inconclusive, I guess, of the viability of the pregnancy at this point. And now I am seeing these HCG results and they just haven't gone up as much as I thought that they should. And now I'm concerned. And in more or less words, I was basically begging her, like, just tell me now, um, you know, I, I needed more of an answer. I, I'm a 
um, I'm a resolutions type of person. So I need that, that answer something that's a little bit more finite. And so, um, she was so kind and said, you know, you we're basing this off of things that we can't give you a hundred percent answer on. And I would rather you err on the side of caution and, and continue to be hopeful about this because there's nothing that we're seeing that says otherwise that we should go down the other route. Um, you could have very well been too early at that ultrasound. And at some point your HCG doesn't continue to double. It can kind of start to plateau and that could be the case for you. And that's not something that we can conclusively go by, but I will talk to the midwife and, and I'll call you back. And so she did a couple of hours later and came back with essentially the same response and said, you know, your midwife is not concerned, um, which I sort of scoffed at because this is a woman that I really hadn't, I hadn't met yet. This was someone that I was going to be switching to for this new pregnancy. And, um, but again, I, I was trying to be hopeful about the whole situation and she was so kind and so reassuring and essentially just said, I, I don't want you to go down the path of this being a negative result un, until we have to. And right now you don't have to. So let's come back in two weeks. I know that's a long time to wait, um, but let's let's take these two weeks and hopefully we get the answers that we're looking for at this next ultrasound. So that was very hard for me. The I It was sort of a roller coaster, right? You go into this ultrasound, you hope to see your baby and a heartbeat and all of these things, and then you don't. So you're crushed and you think it's over. And then these lab results come in and you think that that kind of finalizes it. But then you talk to someone that is so kind and compassionate and reassuring and just gives you all this hope to go through this timeline ahead of you. And so I had no choice but to be hopeful. I knew that I couldn't, I, I have two boys at home. I, I run a business at home and I couldn't go two weeks just being miserable or, and hopeless. So I had to be hopeful. I, I didn't have a choice. And so we go through these two weeks. And one of the things that helped me to be hopeful about this was to start to tell people close to us um, about the pregnancy. And so we did, and that just brought a lot of joy to the situation and helped me to just add a lot of hope to all of it. Um, and then the two weeks passed um, and I got through it a lot better than I thought that I would initially. And um, the initial ultrasound that I went to, my husband wasn't with me. I kind of just thought like, okay, this is going to be a routine thing. They're going to check. I'm going to get good news and leave. But this next ultrasound, knowing that it was going to be more conclusive, we made arrangements for my mom to be here. Our family doesn't live near us. And she came here to stay with our boys so that he could go with me. And we go to the appointment and I had a wonderful ultrasound tech um, who was very kind. And I, again, very grateful for that. Um, and she did the entire scan and checked everything out and ultimately um, told me that there was no longer a baby. Um, at that point, my bleeding had slowed down or I think even stopped by the time that appointment had come around, which is another thing that got me through those two weeks of being a little bit more hopeful, um, especially because they had told me that I potentially had the hematoma, which I know can sometimes resolve itself after all of my research. And so I just had leaned on that and so went into this uh, very hopeful and got the confirmation that there was no longer baby, there was no heartbeat and that we had lost that pregnancy. Um, and that was awful, um, absolutely crushing. Uh, my husband was crying, which he never does. I was crying, which I always do. Um, but it was, uh, one of the hardest moments that we have ever had. Um, and they told me, you know, you get left in the room to wait for this doctor that, 
is going to hopefully, I don't know, explain things, give you an answer, whatever that is supposed to be. And um, they're really busy that day. And someone that wasn't the doctor that was supposed to come and consult, which wasn't my normal doctor anyway, so it didn't really make a difference to me. But the woman came, comes in and tells me that the doctor that I was going to see wasn't um, going to be getting there as soon as she would hope. And she didn't want to keep us waiting, which was nice. Um, but she was not the most compassionate person. Um, not rude by any means, but um, she said all of the things that, you know, when you're on the other side of it, you know, you don't want to have said to you, or if you know anyone that's gone through a loss that, you know, you shouldn't say to someone. And one of the first things she said was, you can try again, though. Uh, you know, at least you got pregnant and you can try again. And that was like the spiral of how awful all of these things were. Um, just hearing those, like, I, I know so many women who have unfortunately gone through a loss. And those are just those standout things that you would think someone in this profession would know not to say. So that was awful and, and, and just ultimately didn't conclude an already terrible experience any better. Um, and so that was really hard. And um, there was a lot of crying involved that day. And I came home and my mom was here uh, and I explained things to her. And uh, she was here for that day. And it was, um, I needed to be almost distracted that day. So we actually went to lunch. It was her birthday the next day. It was part of the reason she was here was I was going to take her um, to lunch for her birthday. And so we still did that. And I just tried to get through that day, but at the end of the night, um, you know, just completely broke down. My husband completely broke down, which again, he's just, um, he's not someone who expresses his feelings as outwardly um, as me, especially. He's more of an internal processor and I am the opposite. And um, that was just an awful day and, and an even worse night um, when everything kind of set in. Um, so I actually left that appointment, um, you know, with a lot of questions. No one really told me what was supposed to happen next. Um, I was told that someone would call me. And so that whole day I had also gone waiting for this phone call that never came. Um, and I was very angry about that. My husband was very angry about that. And so I told him, you know, at a certain point the next morning, if I hadn't heard from one, I heard from anyone, I would call myself. Um, and I did get a phone call the next morning fairly early, thankfully, um, from uh, a nurse in what's called uh, peace. So they deal with um, pregnancy, early awareness and um, loss. And so she was again, um, just a, a very small light in a really dark time. She was so compassionate, um, the kindest person that I spoke to um, on the like professional side of things throughout this entire process. I will never forget her. She was just so kind, um, even explaining to me all of the awful options that I then had um, in terms of what to do moving forward. Um, and of course she gave me the three choices that I had to either take the medication to help the miscarriage along, or I guess four choices, either wait naturally, um, you know, take the medication to help things move along, um, have the in-office procedure, the DNE or a DNC. Um, and my struggle with the options was there was no way I could wait for this to happen naturally. Um, to me, this was already such a long process, the two week wait between the two ultrasounds and everything. I was just like, there's, I have no waiting left in me. Um, 
And so this was on a Wednesday. And um, so that was my initial thought is there's no way I can let this happen naturally. And I'm someone who would prefer that route. Um, I'm very into like a natural birth and things of that nature. And I would have loved to be able to go that route, but there was, I had no waiting left. Um, And then when it came to the DNC, I very much did not want to have to go under anesthesia. Um, I have a very hard time with anesthesia. I've never handled it really well. So that was my opinion on that. And then when it came to the in-office procedure, after going through what I had gone through with my first birth um, and the trauma that came with that, I just did not think that there was any way I could get through an in-office procedure where I was awake and aware and able to feel everything that was going to happen. Um, I just didn't think I would emotionally be able to get through that. And so I opted to take the medication and um, I had the option to do the two-step process where you go in office and get, I will butcher the names of the medication, so I won't even try. Um, They both start with M, but the first that you go in and take in the office and then um, the mesoprostol that you can then take at home. And so um, Thursday, I went to the office and took the initial dose of medication. And then that Friday, my husband was off from work and um, I was to take the second set of medication. So um, I took that on Friday morning um, and it was sort of oddly a a peaceful day um, when I think back on it. Uh, My husband, we have two boys at home and again, not many family members nearby. Um, We had offers from family if they, you know, they knew at that point what was going on and if they, if they needed to come and take the boys from us, that they would do that and everything. But I sort of just felt like I wanted it to be us. I wanted it to just be me and my husband and my boys. And I didn't want a lot of outside um, influence. I just, I didn't, I just wanted it to be us. And I felt like I needed to have them close that day. Um, so my husband, uh, you know, I told him that I was taking the medication and um, he took the boys outside to play. And I just told him, you know, keep your phone on you. If I I feel at some point that I need you, I'll let you know. You can, you know, put on a movie for the boys and they will relax for a minute and you can be here with me if I feel like I get to that point. Um, And I essentially just laid in bed for hours and I was just waiting and I kept updating my husband and telling him, you know, nothing's happening, nothing's happening. And eventually um, I remember sending him a text message that said, Um, I'm starting to feel the way that I was feeling with Maverick, which was my first birth. Um, And there was this just very uh, distinct connection of how it felt when I started to have the contractions that I was having. And so they were really mild. And, you know, he said, do you need me to stop what I'm doing and and come and be with you? And I said, no, like, I'm I'm okay right now. This is, uh, you know, mild for now. and, And I'll let you know. And it didn't get much more intense um, until a couple of hours later. I mean, the bleeding had picked up at one point, um, but the physical pain of it was not extreme. Um, And I don't know if that is just my previous experience with pain with my births and uh, things of that nature, or the fact that I had um, listened to so many stories from this podcast and read so many stories from other women that I just built it up in my head to expect that it was going to be 
so terrible. Um, but in any sense, it, it was not the worst thing in my personal experience. Um, and I know that I'm very lucky to be able to say that. Um, so the bleeding had picked up, but it wasn't the worst pain. And eventually some of the pain actually had started to subside and it turned evening at some point. And my boys had come up and laid in bed with me at some point. And um, my husband had brought me food at some point and come bedtime, uh, there I was bleeding from everything going on, but able to get up and move around so much so that I was putting my oldest son to bed. Um, and he was actually in the bathroom with me. We were brushing his teeth and he was flossing and I felt the need to go to the bathroom and he was in there with me and I go to the bathroom. And that is when I passed, uh, the majority of my pregnancy at that point. Um, and again, the day, just looking back on it was just eerily in a way, uh, peaceful and the actual passing of everything was not painful. Um, I actually collected what I had ended up passing. Um, and I told my husband what had happened with my son in the bathroom with me while he's flossing his teeth. And it was just sort of a, a, a strange, in a way, peaceful um, experience. That's the only way I can think to put it. Um, and I remember thinking like, how am I supposed to be doing or how am I doing this and and I just have to keep being a mom like literally in the moment I'm losing a baby and taking care of a baby simultaneously um it was just a very strange experience but also comforting in a sense that my son was there um I don't know if that'll make sense to anybody else um it might sound odd but that was how I felt um, so we actually, uh, buried the baby in a box in the backyard. And that was sort of my, um, close to this oddly peaceful day in, in its sense. Um, and so I then, um, went on for the next two weeks to continue bleeding pretty significantly. Um, you know, they give you all kinds of guidelines of, uh, if you spike a fever, if you are bleeding, you know, this amount, uh, you know, you need to go to the ER and it was never anything that was concerning to me in that sense. I didn't ever think that I was bleeding so heavily that I needed to go to the ER, but I was bleeding significantly, um, every day passing clots every day. Um, and I had a follow-up appointment in two weeks from, from that Friday. So, um, you know, it, it never became so concerning that I felt I needed to go to the doctor any earlier than my follow-up appointment. Um, and so my follow-up appointment was September 2nd, two weeks later. And the night before I actually passed, um, something that was very much like tissue, it was solid. So I don't know if this was part of the placenta or whatever it was, but I remember telling my husband, like, um, you know, I, I definitely, this wasn't a blood clot. Like I passed more of the pregnancy just now, which was so strange to me that literally, you know, uh, 13 days later that this was still happening. And so my follow-up appointment was the next morning. And obviously they're going in and checking to make sure that all of the tissue has passed and there's nothing retained. And, um, I just was praying with my husband the night before to let everything have passed. Um, you know, at this point it had been, four weeks since the initial very awful appointment that sort of started all of it. And I was just 
so fed up at that point with having been going through this, still going through this for, for two weeks after actually passing the pregnancy itself. It just felt never ending. Um, I was a, a shell of a person in those two weeks because I just kept feeling like I couldn't get past it. it. It just wasn't over because I was still bleeding so much. And so I just said, I just want to go into this appointment and have them check and have them tell me that everything has passed and that it was done. You never want this to ever happen to you in the first place. But then once it is, you just need it to be over, or at least I did. Um, and so that, that was my biggest hope. And so I go into this follow-up appointment again by myself. I'm thinking, you know, they're just doing this checkup and it's all going to be fine. And I'm going to be leave. I'm going to leave and they'll tell me, you know, my bleeding's going to slow down in a couple of days and, and uh, that'll be it. And so I go in and of course, um, that was not the case because why would I get so lucky, right? Um, for this to be able to finally have any closure. Um, and so they find that I do have retained tissue. Um, and again, I'm sitting there in the same place that I was two weeks ago, getting all of these options. So I can continue to bleed for God knows how long at that point, um, it would have continued, um, and let it continue to happen naturally. I could go home and take more misoprostol, which again, I have to go home and just be a mom that day. My husband didn't have off work. He actually had something really important going on. So, um, you know, that was an option or they could do, um, essentially a version of a DNA. They referred to it as the IPASS procedure. Um, and I was just beside myself. It was just the one thing that I didn't want to have to face was for this to have to go on or to, um, you know, be faced with, with this choice again, really. And so I was just torn. I'm, I'm sobbing and, um, you know, the doctor and the nurses that were there were very kind and, you know, let me take a lot of time about thinking about it. And, uh, I called my husband and I, you know, I'm sobbing and saying, I don't know what to do. And he's of course not going to, you know, make the decision for me. Um, but he was obviously very supportive in whatever I was going to decide to do, but it was terrible because he was at home with our kids with no family around to be able to call in a pinch. Um, I had the car seats in my car, so he couldn't have even come up and tried to manage any of that. And so um, at the end of our conversation, I, I still didn't know what I was going to do. I got off the phone. I had an, another conversation with the doctor and I just, I was explaining to her and she was very understanding of the fact that um, I was scared to have to take this medication again for it not to finish doing its job, essentially. Um, and the the DNA, the IPASS procedure, felt so daunting to me. Um, and it was the the reason I made the decision I did in the first place um, to not have that done um, because I just didn't feel like with the trauma from my first birth that I could handle the physical pain, the mental, the emotional, everything that would have come up with it, um, you know, being in a procedure where I was very aware of what was going on. Um, but for some reason, that's the direction I was being pulled. I felt like I could not go home and take this medication and have it not work um, the rest of the way, especially being at home with my boys. Um, I couldn't, she gave me the option to have a DNC, but again, I, I really was not, at that point, I was definitely not going to have that done. Um, I would have just done that from the beginning. And so for whatever reason, I was being pulled to have the 
bypass procedure. And I was beside myself to even have had to make that decision. Um, it was the last thing I wanted to do. I had prayed and prayed that I would not be in that position. Um, but there I was. And so uh, they prepped me and walked me through everything. And had asked me, you know, at some point, at some point, I think way earlier, they had asked me, had I driven myself there? And um, they said, you know, they're explaining to me the medications and everything that would go into it. And they said that they uh, would have been able to give me Ativan for my nerves and everything had I driven myself there, but because, or had I not driven myself there, but because I had, they wouldn't be able to give that to me. Um, and then, you know, they were giving me a shot of some version of, I guess, ibuprofen, like a stronger version of ibuprofen. I'm not sure. Um, they gave me a shot in my leg and then they were going to give me lidocaine to numb my cervix to, you know, start the procedure and everything. And so, uh, you know, reluctantly that's where I was at. And so they began the procedure. I got the um, initial pain medication and, um, they began the procedure and, uh, the doctor was explaining to me that she was about to inject the lidocaine. And she said, um, so your ears may start ringing and your mouth may taste, uh, metallic. That's the lidocaine, um, normal. Don't, you know, I don't want you to be concerned if you notice that happening. So instantly, um, she injects it and my ears start ringing. My mouth tastes metallic. And very immediately after that, I couldn't feel my lips. And I said, uh, is it normal that my lips are going numb? And she said, what? And I was like, well, my mouth, I can't really feel my mouth. And she was like, no, that shouldn't necessarily be happening. Um, and by the time she even finished that sentence, I had said back to her, I'm just going to go to sleep. And so I passed out, uh, briefly, uh, but I passed out and, um, when I kind of came to, I had had, I was only undressed from the waist down for the procedure and I had had a hoodie on. And so I woke up to a nurse, you know, trying her best to yank me out of this hoodie. Um, people had begun, you know, coming in the room. There were a couple of extra nurses that had come in. Uh, They're laying ice packs all over my chest. And it was from that point a very out of body experience. Um, I told my husband, the only way I could describe it was um, I was submerged in water and everything was going on around me. Everyone's voice sounded as though they were talking to me while I was underwater. Um, and it was just the strangest experience. Um, so they're laying ice packs all over my body and they're, they're trying to tell me to keep my eyes open, which I couldn't do. And, um, at one point the doctor said, okay, Heidi, like, I really need you to stay with me. So, you have two boys at home. I need you to tell me about them. What are their names? And so they started up a conversation with me about my children um, and very slow in response time. I tried my best to keep up with conversation to them, but I never really came out of that feeling of being underwater and that sort of out of body experience um, for most of the procedure. That That's how I felt. And I had started to come to and um, you know, could feel everything obviously, uh, and had just, just the strangest experience with all of that. It's, it's, it was, I was right back in the room after having had my son when I was hemorrhaging with the people running in the room and extra things going on around me and feeling like I wasn't in control. And as much as logically I knew I wouldn't 
likely die from this experience, that's where I was from, you know, my past trauma. I was, I was right there and I was by myself, uh, not by choice and not by my husband's choice, which just made it so much more emotional because he would have done anything to be there. Um, it was just awful. Uh, but I don't think, had I not passed out, I don't think I would have been able to get through the procedure. So I honestly think that was my body uh, getting me through it uh, without, you know, been able, being able to have had any other additional medication or anything. Uh, that was, that was the only way I was going to get through it. And I had asked the doctor, you know, why would that have happened? And the answer that she gave me was that it was uh, how heightened my nerves were, that I was so scared of everything that that was just my body's way to, to shut down. And, and I honestly think it's the only way I would have gotten through it because if had I been more aware, if I could have felt more of the pain, um, I don't know what I would have done, um, or if I would have gotten through it. So, uh, the procedure went well, <laughs> I guess, um, in terms of it being successful. And the doctor did tell me, um, as everything was wrapping up and, and I was uh, becoming a bit more aware of everything that um, I made the right choice, which was, I was very grateful for that uh, statement from her because I know how I am and I would have overthought afterwards and, and grappled with the fact that I ended up making the choice that I did had I not heard from her, um, that that was the case. But she said, you know, you definitely made the right choice. I wouldn't have wanted you to have to go home, um, you know, and take the medication. I don't think that that would have been successful for you with the way everything had looked. Um, she said, you, I just wanted you to know that you made the right choice and, and you did really well getting through it. And, and, and I'm sorry. Um, and so I had to stay there for a while in the office just to um, allow them some time to continue monitoring my vitals to make sure that I was okay to drive home. Um, and during that time, I was texting my husband and, and vaguely kind of filling him in on what happened. I didn't want him to like panic, um, but I did tell him, I said, you know, I, I passed out during the procedure and um, I sort of explained to him a little bit of how I had been feeling and he was just beside himself. He felt so awful and, and I'm sure he still does. Um, and I, but I told him, you know, the way that everything happened, uh, I think my words to him were, I, in the, I mean this in the most sincere way possible. I'm glad that you weren't here because we didn't both need to be traumatized again. Uh, everything that happened with my first birth is something that I still struggle with all the time. And I didn't want him to have sorry, another experience like that, that he would have had to witness firsthand and continue to have to carry with him. Um, because I know had he been in that room and when I passed out, he would have been, um, he's just my biggest uh, advocate for everything he has been through, both of my births and everything. And he just would have been, uh, he would have lost it on someone in that room, um, especially knowing, you know, when I asked if what was happening to me was normal and, and their response was no, um, he would have lost it. Um, and I'm just glad he wasn't 
there to witness it firsthand. There was just blood all over the room and it was just a, a, a scene that he didn't need to see twice after having experienced um, what happened with our son the first time. And so I am truly grateful in hindsight that he was not there to have to have had that experience because one of us going through it was plenty. Um, and so when I laid there before I left the hospital, thankfully the, the very first nurse that I spoke with on the phone from the peace organization um, was there with me. And again, was just, I, I told her that she was just an angel to me um, just because of the way that she spoke to me and, and how compassionate and kind she was. And, um, you know, she was there to check my vitals and, you know, talk to me about everything. And she was uh, very forthcoming with like her personal information to be able to contact her for any help that I needed mentally, emotionally, physically, whatever it was. And I'm just so grateful for her. And I just remember, you know, laying there while, you know, they allowed me time to recover. And that finally being the moment that as terrible as what had just happened was, it was the first time through this whole process that I had any uh, sort of peace about it. Um, and, and, and it, and I, even having had, um, as I mentioned, a more quote unquote peaceful experience with having, uh, miscarried at home, even then, uh, it must've just been something in the back of my mind, uh, because I was still bleeding and it wasn't quite over that, um, it, this, it wasn't the end for me until this point. And so laying there in the, um, office, uh, during the recovery process, I was the first time that I felt even the tiniest bit lighter because I finally at that point had closure. And as much as I never wanted this to happen in the first place, it was finally over. And that's all I had been waiting for. Um, I just needed it to be done. And so um, ever since then, this is uh, this happened, I had my procedure on September 2nd, and today is September 11th, <laughs> so um, just over a week, and every day is just a little bit lighter. Um, I would never say easier. I don't know if it necessarily gets easier, but I believe that you get a little bit stronger each day to be able to carry the burden, and so um, that's where I am, still processing um, every day, but being able to move forward um, just a little bit lighter than I was the day before. Um, and that ebbs and flows. It's not uh, a continuous up. Um, but that is uh, the conclusion of, of my story and where I'm at now. Thank you, Heidi. Uh, I appreciate you sharing, you know, how miscarriage was also really triggering from your birth trauma with your first son. And I think there's some sort of, I don't know if it's validation, if that's the right word, but whenever you experience a miscarriage, you mentioned that whenever you were essentially laboring at home, that it was so similar to your labor experience with giving birth to your two living children. And I feel like, I know for me, part of that was very validating, but obviously it's also like, okay, why does everybody not talk like <laughs> this is what's going to happen? And it's kind of crazy. Um right. But I'm, I'm also glad that you were over-prepared for your cytotech experience. I feel like that's, for me, that's always my goal is to over-prepare people because yeah. um, 
as somebody who was underprepared, that was not fun. But it's also, even if it's a quote unquote peaceful experience, or you don't feel like it was maybe similar to somebody who claims it was a, a hard or a horrible experience, you know, it's still terrible. It's yeah. It, there's no uh, great way to have a miscarriage and, and having a miscarriage around your living son is, is that's difficult. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I know um, I've shared it on the podcast a few times, but um, whenever I was a year and a half, my mom had a miscarriage at at 12 weeks at home. And I don't have any memory of the miscarriage, but I think my mom has always kind of leaned on my presence as a support because she was home alone with me. And so that's something that stuck out to her in her journey. And so growing up, I always knew about that baby that she lost and it became a really special part of my childhood actually. And so I hope, I hope that telling you that brings you some sort of some comfort in the fact that you miscarried at home with your children, because I know that's not an easy thing as a mom to think of. No, uh, it definitely wasn't. Um, and our boys did not know about the pregnancy, their ages. I just didn't know that they would fully understand. And especially kind of finding out early on that things could potentially go away that we didn't want them to go. Um, we held off on telling them. So, um, and then after everything, I didn't, I haven't felt as though I wanted to try to explain that to them yet, but I definitely plan to at some point and let um, Maverick know that he was this silent support person for me and all of it. And I, I hope that's something that he'll, um, you know, I don't know, not enjoy hearing about, yeah. but something, <laughs> something that would be something he carries with himself that he was there for me in that way without knowing it. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's, you know, that's true for anybody who has a living child either before they have loss or after, um, mine are living children after loss. And I definitely plan on telling them about the babies that I lost and how they, you know, are siblings, but you know, they never got to meet them or anything like that. But of course, whenever it's age appropriate and I can figure out how to do that without absolutely sobbing, but it's, (laughs) you know, they, they are a big support, even though they don't realize it. Um, yeah. But it's, I also know whenever you were sharing your, your story, that limbo of going in and, and thinking that things don't really look right. Or, you know, whenever the blood work comes back, that that's not where they want it to be. And then an ultrasound is confirming that, but you have to come back in a week. It's like a total mind game. And then the whole process of miscarriage just takes so much longer than I think we anticipate because in movies, it's like you see blood and it's over. Oh, you know, right. And it's just so different. And nobody thinks about what it looks like in those exam rooms. Um, I mean, it's just, it's a horrible experience. It truly is. Um, yeah, there's no words. No, I always stay in calls with people. I'm like, that sucks. And it's like, that's the best way to put it because this experience just truly sucks. And there's no, there's no way to, to really find a silver lining or make it better. It's just, it's a really uh, cruel thing that happens, but you've survived the really hard part. And that is, you know, worthy of recognition. And even though it's something that you don't ever want to have to survive, but 
you are and, and you've lived to tell your story and there's important, you know, there's importance in doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's been very healing for me too. Um, it's now, this is probably maybe the third or so time that I've actually told someone, you know, from first appointment to last, or from, I guess, from finding out to where we are now. Um, and every time it's been a little bit more healing each time, it seems like a, a piece of it is sort of lifted off to me to have been able to share it with someone else. So I'm so grateful to have been able to speak through this and, and heal from it. 